to worry about when browsing online. How secure is your personal information? And should you really put duct tape over your webcam? Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. This series features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. And this series is especially for you. It's part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed for alumni. Today, you'll enjoy a conversation with Dan Cornell, class of 1998, and Sheridan Chambers, 97, from the Denim Group, and Trinity's computer science professor, Paul Myers. Their conversation will address what the average person should be concerned about when it comes to computer security. They will also discuss how Denim Group got into the security industry and what the particular area of focus of the Denim Group is in the cybersecurity space. We got the thumbs up, gentlemen. I think we are we're live. Okay. Well, Dan Sheridan, uh, welcome to campus again and uh, to these amazing Care to You studios. I don't think I've ever been involved with this before. It's Pretty cool. No, I, so uh, what they were telling us, we so we did a little tour before we started, and what they were telling us was um, that they had completely renovated this uh, about, I guess, eight years ago, and I, I'm, I'm blown away with the kind of quality of this setup. I can't believe. Um, well, I mean, I'm I'm really proud of my school right yeah. now. This is really cool. They they have a full what appears to be like a full television studio and a full um, audio production studio and. In addition to the radio station, this is really amazing. I agree. Well, it's uh, fancy. <laughs> anyway, before we get started, I also just wanted to uh, congratulate you again. I, I saw you at the award ceremony, but this is the first chance to really talk for winning the Daryl Waldron Business Leadership Award. Uh, what was it last month? Six weeks ago? Or I something? think that's about right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was uh, October. It was a really nice event. It was really a pleasure for me to see, you know, fellow computing people up there and winning the award. Well, um, we are really proud of that, and um, I mean, honored by the uh, by the school. And uh, that was that was that was an exciting day to see um, a lot of our old uh, professors, and right. um, you know, and actually, Dr. Waldron was my um, advisor. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he was my advisor. Uh, so it was uh, it was it, it, you know. It, it meant a lot to be part of that. Right. So I tell you, you then were in uh, business. Yeah, and then I know you were in computer science because mm-hmm. we had classes together. At some time or another. At some time or another. I still have one of your papers. Um, That'll be worth something someday. That's why I'm holding on to it. Let <laughs> uh, me proof that he actually did work. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or handed in someone's work. Yeah, right. Anyway, so... You all seem to be quite close. How how did y'all meet? I I know that uh, you you've been in business before, but how how did that get started? So uh, Dan and I actually met. Uh, so at the time, so I uh, I am uh, class of ninety seven. Uh, Dan's class of ninety eight. Um, at the time, uh, there was a um, on campus uh, student operated um, like event programming group called the Code Center Programming Board. Right. Yeah. Right, um, right. You remember that? Mm-hmm, um, yeah, I do. And so, and Dan and I actually were both volunteers in for, to that group to do this event production, and we met through that uh, through that uh, volunteer activity. Right. Well, how did that lead to moving on together in business? Because I I know he that you worked in, <laughs> in more than one business together. Uh, so that's true. So uh, 
my senior year, Dan's junior year, um, we started uh, we started a company. Actually, was I had a um, uh, I believe was one of the first sessions of the entrepreneurship class that they ran in the business department. Oh. Um, and uh, as part of that class, uh, we constructed a business plan. And at the time, um, I had kind of been dabbling in um, web design. And I uh, had taken a web design class as part of the, actually it was in the business department, um, and thought that there was maybe a business opportunity here to build a business that constructs um, websites. And so as part of that entrepreneurship class, um, I constructed a business plan to build this company. Uh, it was off. It was an awful. I mean, I, I think I did okay what, on that. What would you get in the paper? I think I got a B. That's good. Um, uh, but... Uh, yeah, so we constructed a business plan, and um, we and yeah, I knew Dan. I knew Dan was in the computer science department, and um, uh, we had a third um, partner, Tyson Weiss, oh, yeah. um, who I think was actually business and computer science. Yeah, the, um, the whole package. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. He's like one one of you and I. Right. We're yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, and so um, we. I mean, we basically did the business plan. Uh, and started the company uh, that we that was in the business plan, and and uh, that's kind of how we got started. Right, <clears throat> and then but over the years you've moved into to to different companies. You you've changed venues and all. So, what what are you currently doing? I know you're both involved with Denim Group. Yeah, so we had uh, we sold that first business in September of '99 and worked for the folks that bought us for a while. And then at the end of 2001, uh, Sheridan and I started Denim Group, um, essentially doing similar things in, in, in regard to what we were doing before, building you know custom web applications. Um, and then over time, that's evolved uh, you know, f- from there. But we essentially said, well, we had some success doing that. Why don't we, uh, well, why, why don't we do it again? Well, custom web applications, did, were you all involved with security from the outset? So we built a lot of sites that uh, were dealing in e-commerce, um, and right. in, in retro. So, so certainly security is a concern when you're doing e-commerce. Uh, in that first venture, we, uh, in, in retrospect, we probably could have done a number of things uh, better if, if we knew if we knew then what we know now. Um, but uh, but with Denim Group, um, we started working with uh, our, our third partner at Denim Group, a guy named John Dixon, uh, right. who, who's also a Trinity um, alum. And also uh, one of the award winners. Uh, also, yeah. also we couldn't the, fit him in the booth this morning. Right. right. <laughs> There's only three mics. Right. So. Um, and his background is more is, is a very traditional security background. So he oh. was in the Air Force, um, and uh, you know, was a intel officer and an information warfare officer. Um, got out of that, worked um, in the private sector, worked for KPMG and their information risk management group. And in our discussions with him, you know, he he essentially said, "I, I see what you guys are doing on the." software development side of things, building these web applications for organizations, dealing with commerce and credit cards and workflow and all that. And he said, I'm a traditional security guy with my background. And the really interesting problems in security these days are all dealing with software. And the trick with that is everybody with my resume doesn't know anything about software. If you ask them if they develop software, they did it in COBOL or Fortran, they're not used to building you know, web applications, uh, you know, don't have any background on modern development tools and, and backgrounds. And so that's right. essentially we you know, smushed John's information security background with our software experience. Uh, and that's the uh, you know, chocolate and peanut butter uh, 
end result is, is what we're doing now. Right. Well, you, you may have uh, just answered or at least partially answered a question that I've had for quite some time, which is, you know, for a long time, San Antonio has been the number two city in the nation for information assurance and security. It's one of the reasons we were able to bring the 24th Air Force here, the Cyber Command. But I've often wondered, you know, being on the computer science faculty and my colleagues in computer science, we seem singularly unaware of these big security initiatives that were going on in San Antonio. And yet our students were aware of it. They went and founded companies or got jobs in security. And I've always wondered about that. And I I guess from what you said, John Dixon's influence for you all at least was part of that. But do you have any other comment to make about that disparity in knowledge between Um, our students and faculty? Well, the students need jobs. The faculty already have jobs. (laughs) And uh, yeah, maybe less of an incentive. Uh, And and something I've seen about the security community in San Antonio is it's it's, it's split. There is the government side. So there's the NSA Texas. There's all the Air Force stuff here and the contractors that grow up around that. And to a certain degree, that world is a little insular. Um, I mean, a lot of it, you know, you have to have a clearance in order to right. you know, to, to work in those areas. And, uh, and, and and so there's not a tremendous amount of outreach from that part of the industry out to the uh, you know, more uh, you know, private sector, uh, you know, commercial focus. And I, I think that may be changing. I, I think that is a sort of a historic norm um, where, I mean, it was, you know, there was a lot of, you know, you, they would build their own security professionals um, you know, they would recruit at a young age and folks would stay in that program for a long period of time, or they would use service people. Um, the, I, I think that's beginning to change. I think that there is, a, there is clearly a demand for certain types of talent that are harder to grow, um, certain skill sets, uh, that are, that are harder to, to train. Um, I also think that, um, you know, the, that the sheer demand for workforce, I, I think is kind of causing, more outreach to occur there. But I, I, I agree with Dan. I think it's um, historically not been, um, it, n- not that it's not a strong suit, just as much as it wasn't necessary. Right, right. Well, thank you. Um, so that's the past. What are you guys currently doing? So we do a lot of work with organizations, helping them secure the software that they're building. So if you look at large financial institutions, you know, banks, insurance companies, um, but also again, you know, e-commerce, healthcare. These organizations are building a lot of software, you know, custom software that runs in their environment, or organizations, you know, IoT companies are building software that runs on devices that they sell to folks. And so we work with those organizations to help them build that software in a secure manner. Right. You know, whether that's going in and testing the things that they've already built to identify weaknesses, uh, or preferably getting in front of that, uh, you know, helping them as they're designing products, as they're designing software to you know, do threat modeling to say, you know, what are the possible things that could go wrong with this software? Let's build the software from the outset to be resilient against those types of attacks. Right. I suppose what you were talking about, your history, explains how Denim Group specifically got into security. Yeah, no, exactly. Working with John Dixon and, and kind of seeing that progression of where the security industry is going and how that's uh, you know, really bound up with the uh, software development that these organizations are engaging in. So, And something that I think is kind of interesting is that in many ways, you know, John's kind of idea of combining you know, his information security background with our software development background was, was I mean, relatively 
a, a relatively new concept at the time. I mean, there wasn't, mm. so this is 2003, Three. 2004, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, best practices around um, securing software at the time. Uh, there were very few um, sort of thought leaders um, that were, uh, you know, constructing best practices or or kind of speaking about it. And so in many ways, there were very few courses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ever being offered. Yeah. And so then, so in many ways, I mean, you've got in Dan the one of the um, you know first kind of pioneers in uh, in software security and, and and certainly one of the foremost thinkers uh, on earth. Uh, in information in application security, um, right here. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a strong statement on Sheridan's part. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've heard you give a TED talk. Uh, a TEDx. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and le- just last week, I was, uh, or actually, it was earlier this week, I think, I was on uh, you know some some list of top 100 uh, security professionals. I, I was between 60 and 80, so I'm more of a thought middle of the packer right, well, uh, versus thought leader. But it's uh, it's you know, great great to be nominated. Yeah. Right. Absolutely, it's great to call you. Among one of our alumni. Exactly. (laughs) Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series, brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development, and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation with Dan Cornell, Sheridan Chambers, and Professor Paul Myers. So, kind of changing subject, but I know it's something a lot of people are interested in and rarely have a chance to hear from genuine authorities. What should the average person be concerned about? when it comes to computer security? I mean, we know some things about passwords and stuff, but from a deeper perspective, what should we? Well, I mean, there's the standard, you know, as you said, the tactical advice, you know, people need to be concerned, you know, use different passwords um, for different sites. You, you want to use long passwords, uh, make sure that all of your uh, computers, your devices are set to auto update. Uh, be careful of the email links that you click on and things of that nature. I think more broadly, as we enter into an age where everything is information-based or digital-based. I think people need to think a little bit more about how they, you know, how that fits into their lives. And, you know, if, if you look at the information that people provide to Facebook, if you look at the types of, uh, you know, IoT devices, you know, the you know, exercise trackers and things like that, I think that people need to think about what their, the information they're making available, who they're making it available to, um, and they need to, uh, you know, it needs to be a question they ask of the, of the, of the vendors or of the service providers that they have. Uh, you know, I, I think that until the consumers start caring more about that, the, uh, you know, the vendors don't have a real strong incentive to. Uh, Do you think it's a real threat, for instance, uh, that the software system in a person's car could be hacked or in a person's refrigerator or camera or whatever? Uh, certainly, um, you know. Does that mean I'm not going to drive a car? Probably not. <laughs> but it, but it is something that I, again, that I think we need to look at as as individuals. I mean, obviously, you know, Sheridan and I, uh, you know, via Denim Group, have a, a different perspective on that. But I think consumers need to be asking those questions, and they need to be making sure, uh, or you know, to the degree that they can make sure, they need to be providing pressure. Are the manufacturers asking those questions uh, and starting to include security in their and, and products? They. They do to the degree that it, the incentives 
require them to. And so, in, you know, if you look at people that are doing credit card processing, they have you know, the PCI data security standard that is you know, pushed down on them. And so, you know, they, they have to do that. And so they do. If you look at the financial institutions, you know, they lose money when they, uh, you know, when, when, when they get hacked or when they experience fraud. And so they have invested accordingly to minimize that. Um, you know, if you look in healthcare, there are fewer incentives. If, you know, you know obviously if people's, you know, to, to a certain degree, if you have a credit card that gets stolen, you know, that costs the credit card company, you know, some, some number of dollars, you know, 10 bucks, 25 bucks right. or something per account, but it's, but it's a cost and, and then you're all good again, right? Because you've been issued a new credit card right. from, from a healthcare standpoint, if you have sensitive medical data leaked, like you can't, you, you, you can't have your, uh, medical status reset, uh, right. For, for, for 25 bucks, the, uh, you know, the hospital can't come back and say, Oh, well, guess what? You know, you no longer have diabetes. You know, we, you know, we lost your information, but we reset it. So you should be fine again. Right. Um, and so in cases like that, you know, again, is it regulation that's going to come in, you know, something that we've found working with organizations and, uh, you know, as, as Sheridan mentioned, we've been in the security space since 2003, uh, around, we do a lot of evangelism, uh, you know, to organizations and saying you should be doing this, right? Like you, you, and everybody agrees. It's the you know, Boy Scout type right, stuff, you know, right. trustworthy, you know, courteous, loyal, kind. Like everyone, no, everyone says, yeah, you yeah, weren't yeah. a Boy Scout, were you? Yeah, I was. Uh, you don't remember? I, that, right? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't make it. I didn't make it as far as you. <laughs> I didn't make it till I memorized the, uh, you know, the, uh, the the creed. I guess. Well, it makes that's all the, three of us. That's right? the law, Dan. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know. Organizations say, like, of course we want to protect customer information. Of course we want to, you know, be be secure. Right. The question is, what measures are they taking to do that? And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it comes across as good hygiene. You know, like, yes, you should shower every day. Right. We, we, can we all agree on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Share it, share it yeah. In. My, <laughs> my nine-year-old does not agree with you. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, everybody agrees you should shower every day, but you don't have to shower every day. Right. Um, you know, and, and so what we've found is the thing that really gets organizations to care about security is when their customers care about security. And and, and so that's been, you know, kind of in seeing that, that was a big realization for me is to understand that security is nice, but what you really need to change is the incentives that these organizations are dealing with. And that then changes behavior. If they're all of a sudden like not selling, um, you know, to their customers anymore uh, because you know, they have a competitor that's doing better at security, or because they've had brand damage because of some sort of an incident, you know, that's the strongest thing that we've seen actually change behaviors out there. But I think right. Dr. Myers mentioned something that's really interesting to me just a second ago when he said when he mentioned the cars and the refrigerators, um, and this is kind of echoes a conversation you and I had yesterday, which was about how you know, we call it digital transformation or whatever, how, 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 how businesses are, you know, more and more becoming technology companies, Histor right, businesses right. that weren't historically, you know, that may have been historically a manufacturer or may have been a you know, steel producer or whatever are now suddenly being forced by, uh, by the market or by their competitors or by the, their customers uh, right. to become a technology company. And so where, um, you know, my refrigerator, you know, used to have a compressor and it kept stuff cold. Now it has, you know, now it's internet connected and it can report out, you know, that I need eggs. And, um, and so, you know, there is this, the shift that's occurring that, uh, you know, where folks are, you know, where these, these companies are becoming more and more technology companies right. where, you know, companies that historically may have had an IT department now suddenly have this software development team working for them either as part of their company or as a, in a third party. And so, um, you know, 
it's the need for attention to computer security um, is, is is changing a little bit. Where it used to be, you know, protect the fire, you know, protect the outside of your business with a firewall uh, and keep the bad guys out, um, but everything else will be fine. It's you know now these companies that historically maybe were a manufacturer are suddenly having to make products that connect to the internet and that are being used by um, you know by you know us um, you know are, are suddenly have an obligation. Uh, to a different type of security that they didn't have before, um, and 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 that change is uh, you know something that I think we all need to be aware of, right? Uh, and 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 kind of cognizant of the risks that come from things like my car or my the aircraft that I'm riding in or you know my refrigerator right. that you mentioned. I mean, like those are all very legitimate, um, you know, like vectors for security risk. Well, that's a perfect transition to another uh, thing I wanted to ask. We've just uh, we've just talked about, you know, what your all's advice would be for just people listening to this uh, broadcast, um, and then we moved into business and some of the deeper concerns that you had earlier alluded to. Well, we're on a university campus, and you're alums, and I I I recall Dan a number of years ago you mentioning to me that. Uh, and you've probably mentioned this many times publicly, that it's far better, you know, historically the old penetration and patch uh, model of security, wait till something goes wrong and then try and fix it. Uh, Dan, a long time ago, you said that it was far better rather than, don't call us uh, after something's gone wrong and, and have us fix it. I mean, we can do that for sure, but it's far better to design the, and write the software from the outset uh, with security in mind. And I know you've been championing that for a long time. Have you found any movement in academia at all for towards secure computing? I've seen some some interest. Uh, and what I see in academia, or kind of over time what I've seen in academia, is a lot of the security courseware, if there are security courses, it's a lot of talk about cryptography, uh, which is not surprising because that's math and <laughs> university right. professors, uh, you know, at least in the computer science area, probably have a are probably pretty good at math and they're very comfortable with that. Um, what we've seen uh, is an evolution to you know to get a little beyond some of the academic views on you know the you know, security models and the, the you know the math associated with cryptography, and we've started to see some more interest in secure coding. Um, you know, asking like, how do I design a system to be secure? Not, right. you know, not, not looking at the security features of the crypto, but are, are the features built in a secure way? So looking at authentication, authorization. Um, I think that that is an, that trend, we really need to find ways to push on that. And, and that's right. the, you know, the big thing that I talked about in that TEDx talk that you mentioned. If you think of the, like, the university system as a pipeline of creating new coders, I mean, obviously at Trinity University, um, you know, liberal arts uh, institution, and so we're not. It's not a vocational school, but a lot of the people come out of Trinity, and that's the first thing that they do with their computer science degree is they you know, go code for a couple of right. years. Um, but if you look at that pipeline, you know, we need to get farther up in that pipeline because trying to fix things afterward, you know, after the systems have been built, after they're you know riddled with holes, got a lot of problems, it's really expensive to you know prohibitively expensive to go back and fix all that stuff, and so. I think we really need to push that back into, you know, up into where the coders are being trained, uh, you know, at the university level with these coding academies. And we've started to see some interest in that. 
Um, but again, I think that the, um, the the marketplace needs to speak on that, uh, you know, to the universities right. and say, hey, you know, your product to us is students. You know, if if you want us to, uh, you know, to, to to bring those students in, you know, they need to start having those capabilities. And I want to say it was a, uh, I think it was Oracle, um, a couple of years ago, sent a letter to you know the seven or seven universities that they hired the most from, and said, you guys really need to do this. Uh, there was a lot of talk about it at the time. I don't know if that has really taken yet, um, but I do think that that's uh, like that, that, that's a trick. Is how do we figure out how to uh, you know, how to push that back earlier in the process so that the installed base, if you will, of professional programmers that are out there have these capabilities and are better able to, you know, to, to bring them to bear on the projects they're working on. Right. It, it just occurred to me that this, this may be something like insurance or something that's not really sexy in its own, its own right. It's not the bells and whistles that make it's someone want to, yeah, it's not features that make someone want to do the coding in the first place. And so because of that, it's, it, it's one of those things where it, you never really know that it succeeded except that you haven't had security breaches. Yeah, nothing, right. happened. Haven't had problems. Yeah, yeah. nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. That's the best thing you can yeah. say. It, do you think that that, that mindset is an impediment? Well, it's, you know, and that's something that we've found along the way is you know, certainly when we were still doing a lot of software development as well as software security. Now we're very, you know, very focused on the security side of things, but Again, everybody says like, yeah, sure, I'd love to have secure code, but how much more are you going to pay for that? It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like being the green builder. Sure. Would you like a greenhouse? So, you know, leads, uh, whatever, right, or it's right. energy efficient. Sure, I would like that. Okay, that's going to cost 15% extra. I was like, well, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll donate to the Nature Conservancy instead. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pay extra for that. And so um, I think that's the, that, that's one view of it. Uh, I think that the leading organizations, though, are, shifting their mindset. Um, you know, one of the things that Sheridan mentioned earlier is talk about this digital transformation where every organization uh, you know, is, is becoming to some degree a technology company. Right. The, uh, the pressure that's, that's causing that is their you know, businesses are being required to go faster, right? They need to be able to innovate more quickly. They need to be more responsible, uh, more, more responsive to customers and stakeholders. So they have to go faster. So they need to use technology to innovate uh, and to go faster. And like we really view this as an opportunity for the security function to change the way that they interact with the organizations that they're in. I think traditionally, like you said, security is viewed as insurance. You know, we, we did all this. Did we really get anything out of it? I think a lot of security departments are perceived inside of organizations as being an impediment to progress. Mm. Right? You go to security, wow. hey, uh, you know, hey, hey, can I do X, Y, Z? And you know, the answer is no. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> but, you, but you still have to fill out this form, right? And, uh, and 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 that you know has has put security in a situation where it's viewed as an impediment to progress and an impediment to innovation. I think that the you know the leading organizations that we work with view it differently. You know, they understand that in a digital world, you know, risk management is a critical function and you know, computer security, cybersecurity is a portion of that risk management. And if you want to go fast while avoiding catastrophic failure, risk management has to be incorporated into the into the decision making. And so again, the the, the kind of uh, organizations that are out in front of this from a security standpoint, are rebranding and refocusing their security groups to be the risk advisor. So, you know, to say to the organization, we know that we as an organization have to go fast 
and our role is to provide this risk management function so you can go fast knowing that your flanks have been covered. Um, you know, that it's not that you won't have problems or incidents along the way, but we're going to be able to detect those. We're going to be able to respond to those. We're going to be able to clean those up in a sensible fashion. Right. And, and, and that's, I think, when you view the evolution of, you know, the, the security industry and how it fits into the way that businesses make decisions, um, that's where I think security needs to be. And we've seen that be really effective in organizations that have, that have changed their mindset a little bit. Oh, well, that's good news. How, how, how recent would you say this kind of change of heart has been? Uh, I mean, certainly, I think we're at the leading edge of it, uh, um, just because, again, looking at the pace of innovation that's required of organizations, you know, that's accelerated quite a bit, you know, in, in just in the past couple of years. And so, uh, you know, that, that's but that's a, probably the biggest trend that we're seeing right now is, um, you know, working with these large enterprises. Um, and even you know, smaller enterprises that are trying to move really quickly, they're trying to figure out how do we how do we go faster, uh, but how do we go faster in a way that's not going to cause you know, irreparable harm down the way, and so that we right. can ride through these things? And so that's a, you know, probably the kind of the fastest emerging trend that we've seen with the organizations we're working with right now. Right, right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, and uh, I. I've, I've learned a lot, and I really got some questions that I had answered very well. But uh, we're, we're about out of time, and I was just wondering if you all had any brief concluding comments. I just want to say thanks to Trinity, Trinity University, uh, you know, coming out of the computer science department. Again, it wasn't a vocational. Uh, you know, it was a vocational education, but it was a lot more than that, learning how right. to learn, learning how to learn new things. Um, right. And uh, you know, Trinity, CompSign, Trinity in general, created a great environment for that. And so I'm very thankful. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I'm proud of my education, and uh, it served me really well, both with um, you know, the knowledge uh, that it imparted in me, but also um, you know, you know, relationships that I've developed with uh, some of the professors, including yourself and, right. and the business department. Uh, that remain to this day, and uh, I, 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 you know, never ceases to amaze me how um, you know, wonderful the campus is, and you know, how much I uh, have, um, you know, and indebted to the school for the education. As a Trinity faculty member, I have to say that I feel indebted to you all for taking the time to come down here. I I learned a lot, and this is an area I already know something about, but I still learned a lot, and. Uh, I really appreciate the discussion we've had. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.